0: Faith Fit Radio and the Diocese of Orlando presents Burning Hearts with Father Patrick O'Dottery A program that is seeking to lead young adults to Christ and to enkindle a deeper faith that is fully alive. Now, here is your host. Welcome to Burning Hearts, a Bible study for atheists, agnostics, for unbelievers, for people of all faiths, and for people of no faith some days ago i heard a rather strange story two people were having a discussion they were comparing the present with the past they were not arguing that the past was better but just that in the past things were different from all points of view there is one thing however said one in the past people were much more religious When I think of my father and mother, my uncles and my aunts, I remember that whenever something happened to them, they always thought of God. Even when they talked about the future, like if they said they were going to see you next week, they'll say, oh, I'll see you next Wednesday, God willing, or expressions like, God willing, and the crick don't rise. Now, if you go further back to the other person, You'll find more than that. Don't you remember how in former times human beings sometimes saw God face to face? Think of Moses. Like Moses went up the mountain, went up Mount Sinai. He entered into the dark cloud and spoke with God as a man spoke with his friend. Noah, for instance, was God's friend, and Enoch walked with God. And think of the prophets, and think of John. At that moment, an old man passed them. He passed by when the two were looking at each other, silenced by their own question. He greeted them and asked, Why do you look so worried? One of the two friends said, We were asking ourselves why in the old days people saw God face to face but now nobody ever seems to see him. The old man sat down beside them. Do you really want to know? They nodded. Yes. Do you know why? I think I do, he answered. It is because today nobody wants to bend down. What do you mean? The two asked almost at the same time. For a moment he did not answer. Then the old man said, It is because today nobody has time. The two sat in puzzled silence until he asked, Do you understand what I said? They shook their heads. He continued, You can only find God near you, around you. God shows himself in your children if you take the time to look lovingly at them, if you bend down to them. Forgetting all your worries. He shows himself in the rain, in the sun, in the animals, in the plants, in yourself. But today we seem to have no time. We are looking away from him. No wonder we do not see him anymore. The old man was right. When we are looking for God, we are often looking in the wrong direction. We are looking up forgetting that the angels of God told the disciples who were gazing up into the sky where Jesus had disappeared. You people of Galilee, why are you looking up like that to see Jesus? Go home. It is there that you will find him. You will not find him in the sky. We too can look for God where we can find him, around us here on earth. Now I'm going to propose to you that You can find God in something that everybody is part of, and that is marriage. You can find him uh, in your spouse, you can find him in your children, you can find him in your husband. The first miracle Jesus ever performed was at a wedding. Now you'll find this particular story uh, in chapter 2 of the Gospel of John. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the celebration with his disciples. At a certain point the wine ran out, and Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what has this concern of yours got to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever my son tells you. Now there were at hand six stone water jars. These are customary for the purification rites among the Jewish people. And each one was holding about 15 to 25 gallons. Jesus said to the waiters, Fill the jars with water at which they filled them to the brim. Now he said, Draw some out and give it to the steward of the feast. So they took it. When the steward of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and not knowing where it came from, only the servants knew since they had drawn the water, the steward called the groom over and said to him, People usually serve the best wine first, and then when the guests have been drinking a while, a lesser vintage. But what you have done is keep the best wine until now. This was the first of the signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and showed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, just to save a couple from embarrassment, Jesus performed a miracle. He turned water into wine, and it was in the context of this marriage celebration that his disciples believed that Jesus was God. So I'm proposing today that we can take a deep look at marriage and we can uh, see God at work. Now marriage, as you know, is God's idea. In the Genesis story, the story of Adam and Eve, he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So the Lord God cast a deep sleep upon the man and took out one of his ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. And then he built up into a woman, the rib that he had taken from the man. And when he brought her to the man, the man exclaimed, This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. And for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and joins himself to his wife, and the two become one flesh. But God has joined, men must not divide. So marriage then came out from the mind of the all-holy God. And just as you can look at a picture and know something about the artist, you can look at marriage and discover a great deal about the nature of God and who God is. I'm going to make what might seem now to many a very wild statement, but you can actually summarize the whole Bible from beginning to end and say it's the story of a marriage. The Old Testament part is the story of a marriage between God and his people, his chosen people, the Jews. Now, I'll admit it was a broken marriage. Uh, down through the centuries, uh, our forefathers, the Jews, were constantly breaking the marriage covenant with God, constantly worshipping the false gods, but he was constantly taking them back again. And so there came a new marriage, and the new marriage took place when the Virgin Christ, after a life of obedience, offered himself to God on the cross of Calvary. There's even a a sexual reference there, if you care to see it, Uh, in the Temple of Jerusalem, In the inner sanctuary there was the holy of holies and it was veiled Um, and once a year the priest went behind the veil and sprinkled the blood of lambs on the altar well when jesus died on the cross shedding his blood he didn't go through a veil into the holy of holies but he entered into the heavenly sanctuary he penetrated if you like into the depths of god so on the cross of calvary Jesus made a new marriage between mankind and the all-holy God. When I was in the seminary in the late 60s, one of the most exciting discoveries that I made was that the whole Bible is actually summarized in chapter 16 of the prophet Ezekiel, certainly the whole Old Testament. Um, And it's the story of how God uh, chooses a young girl, marries her, and she becomes a prostitute, she commits adultery. And that's the history of the human race that God is always faithful and we are always behaving like adulterous wives. Let's take a direct look at this now. The word of God was addressed to me as follows Son of man, confront Jerusalem with her filthy crimes. Say, the Lord God says this. By origin and birth, you belong to the land of Cana. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Now, he he confronts the people of Jerusalem and he basically insults them, I suppose, to begin with. He says, you were of mixed blood. It's like saying your father was Irish, your mother was English. Your mother was black, your father was white. And he says to them, your father was an Amorite, your mother was a Hittite. At birth, the very day you were born, There was no one to cut your navel string, or wash you in cleansing water, or rub you with salt, or wrap you in napkins. No one leaned kindly over you to do anything like that for you. You were exposed in the open fields. You were as unloved as that on the day that you were born. Now here he's saying that the Jewish nation is is compared to a young girl that nobody wants, that she's thrown out in the desert and left to die. She's exposed in the open fields uh, like something loathsome, like something you would uh, throw out of a commode. And uh, then God is passing. He said, I saw you struggling in your blood as I was passing, and I said to you as you lay in your blood, live and grow like the grass of the fields. You developed, you grew, you reached marriageable age. Your breasts and your hair both grew, but you were quite naked. Then I saw you as I was passing. Your time had come, the time for love. I spread part of my cloak over you and covered your nakedness. I bound myself by oath. I made a covenant with you. It is the Lord God who speaks and you became mine. Now, do you see, do you see what's going on here? This young girl that God first said to her, live, she's been dumped out, like uh, a baby uh, dumped in a dumpster uh, outside of, you know, a shopping center. We hear stories like this today, and the Jewish nation then are compared to this type of situation. God says to the little girl, live, live. And then when she grows and reaches marriageable age, God spreads his cloak over her, binds himself by oath, makes a covenant with her, and she becomes his. And there's when when we talk about the Jewish people being the chosen people, God enters into a marriage with them. I bathed you in water, he said. I washed the blood off you. I anointed you with oil. I gave you embroidered dresses, fine leather shoes, a linen headband, and a cloak of silk. I loaded you with jewels, gave you bracelets for your wrists and a necklace for your throat. I gave you a nose ring and earrings. I put a beautiful diadem on your head. You were loaded with gold and silver and dressed in fine linen and embroidered silks. Your food was the finest flour, honey, and oil. You grew more and more beautiful, and you rose to be queen. The fame of your beauty spread to the nation since it was perfect because I had clothed you with my own splendor. It is the Lord Yahweh who speaks." And that reference there about the fame of her beauty spread through the nation, it did especially during the reigns of David and Solomon. Even to this day, we talk about the wisdom of Solomon or King Solomon's minds. So Israel was beautiful. She rose to be queen because God had chosen her as his bride. And then he tells us the story. You have become infatuated with your own beauty. You have used your fame to make yourself a prostitute. You have offered your services to all comers. You have taken your clothes to brighten your high places, and there you have played the whore. Now, when he says uh, you make yourself a prostitute, what he's saying here is the worship of a false god. It's prostitution, it's adultery, because, again, the Jewish people are married to God. So when they worship other gods, it's like committing adultery. If you remember at the time of Moses, Moses went up onto Sinai, entered into the dark cloud, spoke with God as a man speaks with his friend, and in the dark cloud, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Uh, the co- the words of the covenant, and of course on his way down the mountain, what happened? Uh, he heard the people in the camp and the sound of singing and dancing and all kinds of things, and he discovered that they were worshipping a false god. They had uh, forged a golden calf and had bowed down to worship it, and so the later prophets will refer to this act as prostitution, as adultery, And back to our story now. Uh, God confronts this bride of his and said, You have taken my presents of gold and silver and jewelry and made yourself human images to use in your whorings. Do you see it there? The making of human images. You have taken your embroidered clothes and put them on the images, and the oil and incense which are rightly mine you have offered to them. The bread I gave you, the finest flour, oil, and honey, with which I used to feed you, you have now offered to them as an appeasing fragrance. You have even, it is the Lord God who speaks, taken the sons and daughters you bore me and sacrificed them as food to the images. Was it enough for you just to be a whore? You have slaughtered my children and handed them over as a burnt offering to them. And in all your filthy practices and your whorings, you have never remembered your youth or the time when you were quite naked and struggling in your blood. Now, based on this passage, you can see that the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament part of the Bible, is a story of a broken marriage. God, the husband of Israel, loves them with an everlasting love, but they are constantly violating the marriage by worshipping the false gods. One of the later prophets, Jeremiah, sees and promises a new marriage covenant. The word covenant, incidentally, comes from two Latin words, to convene, to bring together. We talk about a convention center or a convenience store. So a marriage covenant is the bringing together of husband and wife. In this case, the bringing together of God and the people of Israel. Now, Jeremiah promises a new covenant, a new marriage. This is Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. See, the days are coming. It is the Lord God who speaks. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, but not a covenant like the one I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant of mine, So I had to show them who was master. It is the Lord God who speaks. No, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel when those days arrive. It is God who speaks. Deep within them I will plan my law, writing it on their hearts. Then I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There will be no further need for neighbor to try to teach neighbor, or brother to say to brother, learn to know God. No, they will all know me, the least know know less than the greatest. It is the Lord God who speaks, since I will forgive their iniquity and never call their sin to mind. Now, covenants have to be written in blood. And in different parts of the Old Testament, you'll find that at certain times of the year, like on the Day of Atonement, uh, the people of God would come together, And the priest will say, Ezra the priest would read to the people from the book of the law from morning until night. And the more the people heard the law, the more they would realize that they had not kept the law. And so they would want to renew their covenant with the Lord God of hosts. So the ritual for renewal went something like this. Uh, For instance, a goat would be led forward And the priest would place his hands over the head of the goat and say the sins of the people, if you like, onto the goat. And then the goat was led out of the camp or out of the city and pushed over a cliff. He was led out to Belaya. From this ritual came our English word scapegoat. The goat escapes or is led out with the sins of the people. Then the priest would take another... Um, animal a sheep a year old lamb without blemish and then this animal would be slaughtered and he would bring the blood of this animal into the Holy of Holies and only once a year did the priest go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle some of the blood on the altar in the Holy of Holies and come out and sprinkle some on the people and in this way The covenant was renewed year after year after year. But I'm sure everybody knows that the blood of a million sheep and a million goats pushed over a million hills for a million years will not take away sin. So in the New Testament covenant then, we see uh, an, an extraordinary ritual when we look deeply into it. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was led out of the city of Jerusalem, the divine scapegoat. Uh, Heaped on his shoulders are the sins of the whole world. And then he is nailed to a cross. He is the victim. His blood is shed for our sins. And as you know, then, with his dying breath, he pushed himself up on the nails and cried out, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. At that very moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's the temple in Jerusalem. The veil surrounded the Holy of Holies. Remember that the priest used to go behind the veil once a year with the blood of bulls and sheep and lambs, etc. Well, Now Jesus goes behind the heavenly veil, goes into the heavenly sanctuary, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood. And he has taken his seat forever at the right hand of God, where he makes intercession for us. One of the loveliest movies to me of all time was the movie Fiddler on the Roof. And one day, Chevia, the main character of the play, goes home and he says to his wife, Golda, do you love me? And she says, do I what? And he says, do you love me? And she says something like, well, you're sick, go lie down. And he says, I know, I know, he says, but do you love me? And she said, look, she said, there's trouble in the town and our daughter is getting married and you want to know, do I love you? And he said, yes, I want to know, do you love me? And she keeps uh, evading the question, you know, she said, Uh, I've, for 20 years, for 20 odd years, I've washed for you, I've shared your bed, I've uh, cleaned your clothes, and you want to know, do I love you? And he said, yes, I want to know, do you love me? And she keeps uh, evading the issue. He says to her, "Um, the first time I met you, it was on our wedding day. And she says, I was shy. And he said, so was I. And our father and our mother said we'd come to love each other. And now I'm asking you, Golda, do you love me? And finally, after much questions, she said, "Uh, I suppose I do. And then he said, and I suppose I love you too. It doesn't change a thing. But after 25 years, it's good to know. So if you look at the Holy Sacrament of Marriage, um, therein you will find what's really happening is that God loves us with an everlasting love, and he's asking each one of us today, even through the foolishness of my preaching and my accent, do you love me? And of course, the proof of his love is that God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him may not die, but may have eternal life. Now, the most dramatic way I can put This to you is as follows. Uh, Imagine Jesus the Christ, the Holy One, standing in front of you, and he says to you, and please remember your soul is a feminine entity. He says to you, I, Jesus, take you to be my bride. I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, and you will have both. I will love you and honor you all the days of your life until your death brings us together. Then he says to you, do you take me to be your Lord and master, to be the husband of your soul? Do you promise to be true to me in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health? Will you love me and honor me all the days of my life until your death brings us together? By way of conclusion, a little story from Martin Bell. I think God must be very old and very, very tired. Maybe he used to look splendid and fine in his general's uniform, but no more. He's been on the march a long time, you know, and look at his ragtag little army. All he has for soldiers are you and me, dumb little army. Listen, the drum beat isn't even regular. Everyone is out of step, and there you see God keeps stopping along the way to pick up one of his tinier soldiers who decided to wander off and play with a frog, or run in a field, or whose foot got tangled in the underbrush. He'll never get anywhere that way, and yet the march goes on. Do you see how the marchers have broken up into little groups? Look at that group up near the front. Now there's a snappy outfit, They all look pretty much alike. At least they're in step with each other. That's something. Only they're not wearing their shoes. They're carrying them in their hands. Silly little band. They won't get far before God will have to stop again. Or how about that other group over there? They're all holding hands as they march. The only trouble with this is the men on each end of the line. Pretty soon they realized that one of their hands isn't holding on to anything one hand is reaching empty alone and so they hold hands with each other and everybody marches around in circles the more people holding hands the bigger the circle and of course the bigger circle is deceptive because as we march along it looks like we're going someplace but we're not and so God must stop again You see what I mean? He'll never get anywhere that way. If God were more sensible, he'd take his little army and shape them up. Why, whoever heard of a soldier stopping to romp in a field, it's ridiculous. But even more absurd is a general who will stop the march of eternity to go and bring him back. But that's God for you. His is no endless, empty marching He is going somewhere, his steps are deliberate and purposive. He may be old, and he may be tired, but he knows where he's going, and he means to take every last one of his tiny soldiers with him. Only there aren't going to be any forced marches, and after all there are frogs and flowers and thorns and underbrush along the way. And even though our foreheads have been signed with the sign of the cross, we are only human, and most of us are afraid and lonely and would like to hold hands or cry or run away, and we don't know where we are going, and we can't seem to trust God, especially when it's dark out and we can't see him, and he won't go on without us, and that's why it's taking so long. Listen, the drum beat isn't even regular. Everyone is out of step. And there you see God keeps stopping along the way to pick up one of his tinier soldiers who decided to wander off and play with a frog or run in a field or whose foot got tangled in the underbrush. He'll never get anywhere that way. And yet the march goes on. Again, thank you for listening to Burning Hearts. Shalom. FaithFit Radio and the Dice of Orlando presented Burning Hearts with Father Patrick O'Dottery. Thank you for listening. Check out the podcast at faithfitradio.org and tune in next time. May you be blessed with peace and joy.